Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and over the past 10 years, I've started a nonprofit that helps people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors. Along the way, I've met a lot of friends who are on a similar journey, each of us learning new things about ourselves and each other with the more adversity that we face. Living the dream. This is something I say all the time when I don't have anything to say. Someone's like, hey, Raleigh, how you doing? I'm living the dream. Now that dream could be something good. That dream could be a nightmare. I don't really know what it is. It's really just an opportunity for me to use words when I don't want to really engage the conversation. And typically when I say it, people laugh because they're doing the same thing. We're all just trying to make do. But I found that sometimes I'm actually being honest. Sometimes I am living the dream. I may have my career where I want it. I may be in a relationship that's just going great. Things may be turning up Raleigh and I'm living it. I'm having fun. But then sometimes the dream dies. Sometimes everything that you put your identity into ends. And then what do you do? How do you move forward? Paxton faced a decision. He had just turned down an opportunity to play soccer in Europe when an agent who he had never worked with called him about an opportunity in Phoenix. So he goes and he tries out. And as he's on the pitch, he's tackled. And as he got up, he recognized that something wasn't right. His ankle felt wonky. It did not feel right. And he knew that his dream could die in that moment. Today, I'm joined by Paxton Ballard, a former professional footballer who's played in Europe and America. He's the host of Cool Down Conversations, and he's currently an executive coach and an associate in a wealth management company. Paxton, how you doing? Thank you so much for that introduction, Raleigh. I love the scene that you set with that. Just that initial introduction gave such good visual to how we all deal with everything. Yeah. How you doing? I'm living the dream. Right? I think we can all equate to plugging that in yeah, all the it's, time. It's so easy. In fact, I had a kit manager in England. He's known for it. And even to this day on Facebook, he'll wish me a happy birthday. And he said, hope you're still living the dream. And it was funny. We can dive into this later. But the reason why he would always say it is because the situation we were in at the club was dire. I mean, it was miserable. <laughs> and every day you'd see him and nobody was getting paid. And, and he but was a kit manager. He was also like the masseuse. And every day is like, uh, how you doing? And he, oh, living the dream. And it was kind of a running joke because we were all miserable, but it's, it was it was a bit of light in the darkness. Well, I think that's such a good place to start because here you are, your ankle's done. How did you process what was happening in that moment emotionally? Like what was going through your head? So I, yeah, I'm going to back up a little bit that, that brought me to that situation because at this time... I'd have to start with the pandemic was really a, a huge gap in a lot of athletes' careers and many people's industries got uprooted. But when you're an athlete, your career is, is, is quite short. Now, when the pandemic hit, I was 28. And for you to take off maybe a year or two years on your resume is a very long time because most people only play until they're 30, maybe 32, 33. There's some exceptions for sure. But to have a two-year gap, in such a short career is an eternity. And a lot of clubs see this. Now, I had the opportunity to go down to Costa Rica and play. 
which was a fantastic experience. It was able for me to uh, keep the gears ticking and, and get me geared up for potentially another season in Europe. I had an opportunity to go play in Europe and I actually turned it down because I had a friend who also played football and he was talking to me about his agent who I've never met, never heard of him, but he came recommended through my friend and I trusted my friend enough to have a conversation with this agent. Now this agent got me a trial with a team, a professional team here in America, out in Phoenix. And I said, you know, based on my age, do I want to go to a lower league division in Europe and kind of rough it a little bit? Or do I want to move back to America because I'm getting a little bit older? At least I understand like I'm from here and it might be easier for me to set up shop. And it just seemed like a better career move. And this, Raleigh, in the football world, you kind of lit... Pick, you make things happen overnight. So the guy was like, yeah, the, the trial is this weekend. Now, so it was the last a minute decision. So all of a sudden you got to get your funds together. Yeah, you got to get things together. And you know, it wasn't calculated. And as footballers, as athletes, your leverage is so minimal that you can't say, oh, I need another week because clubs are going to go right. see you later. You know, we'll, we'll get somebody else. We, you know, and, and it can get quite difficult. And it's a very difficult industry to kind of have leverage and stick up for yourself. So I said, okay. So I got there and the first day I showed up and there were some other players that were on trial or they were trying out as well that weren't through my agent at the time, but they were, they, they somehow finagled their way into this trial and it wasn't an open trial or anything. It was an invite only type thing. But some of these players, honestly, they, for lack of a better term, they, they wouldn't even tell yeah, they hadn't shoot. played at I the mean, same level. They shouldn't level. have been on the same pitch. No, they certainly haven't played at the same level. They might have played in, at the collegiate level, but they never played in Europe or, or overseas. And you could just tell how, how they conducted themselves. And as an athlete, or as a footballer, you can always see how good somebody is based on their first touch. And it was just like, there's something not right here. Now, we decided to play, um, not we decided, but the, during that training session, we played a, an, an 11 v 11 scrimmage. Um, and they like to do that because it gives you a, a good picture of, okay, how's this player going to react in a game? How's it going to look, you know, when push comes to shove and everything's going really well in the game. I'm, I'm playing out of my skin and I feel very confident. And the next thing I know, I get a terrible challenge that came right. That one of the players that honestly shouldn't have been there, uh, dove into my back of me with two feet. Now a two footed tackle in this sport is a, is a immediate red card. I mean, he, it was nasty. As soon as I got hit, I mm. knew something was wrong and the immediate pain was in my ankle and I've had injuries before, but this one was like, no, this feels different. And I, after rolling on the ground for a little bit, I was able to pull myself up and I went to see the trainer and the trainer basically just said, look, you're on trial. Do you want to try and make this happen? Do you want to keep going because honestly he knew look this is your shot you know keep you either do or you don't and i took two steps on it and honestly i couldn't bear any weight on it so that was the, the kind of end of it and the the manager was there and also the director of the club was on the sidelines and i walked up to them and very nonchalantly they kind of looked me up and down and shook my hand and said you know thanks very much for coming and then that was it there was no remorse. There was no, you know, mercy. There was no compassion. Not that I was asking for it, but it was just like, and mind you, I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm literally in, in Phoenix. Like there is nothing where I, where I am. And I, I call my agent, no answer. In fact, I haven't heard from him to this day. 
the only person that I could lean on, which most of us do, is we call our parents. So I called my dad and immediately I started to weep and I couldn't control it. And it wasn't the pain that was in my ankle, which was terrible pain. It was two torn ligaments. It was the fact that I knew that to come back from this is going to require an enormous amount of my time, of my strength. And I don't, I didn't know if I had it in me. And I thought that maybe my race was run. Um, now I did rehab for six or seven months. They wanted to do surgery. I opted not to do surgery. And I ended up going back to England one more time and got offered a contract actually to play. But I realized, Raleigh, that I wasn't making any more vertical moves. I was just moving laterally. And I, I realized, do I want to keep doing this or is it time for me to move on? And to leave the game on my my own terms and see what what comes next, and and that's when I decided to quote unquote hang up the boots. Well, and it had to be so hard when you've dedicated your life to something, you've dedicated your life to a sport. Your life, in a sense, revolves around what you do in this sport. And you're injured. Mm. You go to this coach, you go to this manager, and you're like, "Hey, this is what happened." And they look you up and down and thank you. They shake your hand and then. There's nothing, there's no follow-up. That, that had to have been hard. It wasn't the first time. And, and like I said at the beginning of the call, I mean, your, your amount of leverage in this game as an athlete, until you've made it to the highest level or you've kind of created enough of a CV for yourself, there's thousands of teams in the world, but there's millions of players. So if you do the math, the spots are limited. And that's why it's so difficult to, to make it to the next level because most teams have a Paxton or they have a Raleigh, they have somebody already. And if you're not willing to step into that role, then guess what? There's a line of you around the corner. So it's very difficult to say no to something or to say, hey, maybe this, this job isn't for me because there's so few and far between. So I've felt that before where you're almost feel as if you're being used. Um, but to, to have zero compassion in that, in that moment was just like, it's difficult. Now in that moment, it's always difficult, but also it, it has created a, a posture that, that I've been able to take into this next chapter of my life, um, too. So all these experiences have, have been good for me, but to, when you're at your most vulnerable to feel like nobody cares is, is no, never not at all. And I find it interesting that you still gave it the old college try, so to speak. Like, yes, you're injured, but you rehab mm. and you get to play in England mm. and you're looking at this situation and you don't take it. You walk out on your own two feet. In that moment, mm. were you experiencing hope? Were you saying, okay, like, I'm going to retire. I don't, because you're not necessarily being booted out. You're looking at this and you're saying, I'm not advancing the way I want to. These are lateral moves. So mm. maybe there's more to life than football. Was that going through your head? Mm. So really what did it for me was if you, so I'm sure that everyone listening gets these, but you, you'll probably get a memory on your phone, whether it's through Facebook memories or Google photos or whatever that says, you know, eight years ago you were here. Um, and when I went back to England, I got a, a, a notification on my phone that said, you know, eight years ago, it was a picture of me signing my first autograph um, when I was playing at Hereford United. I said, wow, that was eight years ago. And then I said, holy crap, that was eight years ago. 
And it made me fast forward eight and, and project myself into the future by eight years and go, do I want to be in this same position where I'm at now, eight years from now? I'll be 38 at the time and still doing this. And I felt like, like I said before, because I wasn't getting any better, really, I wasn't progressing through the leagues anymore. I was just kind of maintaining the standard that I was at. I think I felt as if I would be wasting opportunities for building my next chapter uh, moving forward. So the 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 decision was difficult because it's like now what? And also freeing because it was this weight of performance of dealing with corruption of dealing with living in you know not making a lot of money but still saying that you're a professional athlete it's it's um you know a lot of what we see as professional we see in this media will represent athletes as very well off but the truth is 99% of those that play professional sports don't make a lot of money and they're not set up for their next chapter so it was freeing in one sense where i was able to let go of it uh, but also tremendously horrifying because I was like, well, what do I do now? And I've been wrapped up in, in this forever. And it, it, it was so quite So you're difficult. thinking, what do I do now? As you're kind of pondering this next chapter, mm. what was the next step that you took? Because a lot of us, I mean, something happens, you know, the defecation hits the ventilation in life. We don't know what to do. We're struggling. And <laughs> it's very easy to feel paralyzed, especially when you're in a major life transition. Mm. And some people fill that void with millions of things that are just unhelpful and unhealthy. But mm. you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I'm going to look at this as my next chapter. What was the literal next thing that you did? So for me, I mean, I quit cold turkey. Wow. Like I left my boots in England. Did you literally and, leave your boots um, in England? It, like just... Yeah, they, they're there still. They're still there. Yeah. I don't know. I hope someone got them, but I, I don't I need said, these you know, anymore. Not, so, <laughs> and, uh, no, don't need <laughs> left them. And I actually took the time to travel. So that was a big reason why I left a lot of my stuff because I wanted to travel light. And in England, we had, a, we have a, a lot of family there, but also a family friend that lived in Bristol. And uh, he's a he's a very godly man, and he was a friend of my father's growing up, or not growing up, um, when he was in New York City. My dad and they had reconnected during the pandemic, and my dad said you should go talk to him and go, you know, check out Bristol. Bristol's a beautiful city, anyway. So I said, yeah, cool, let me go down there. And I actually stayed there for a couple months, not with him, but just living in Airbnbs and just kind of traveling, letting the dust settle. And he kind of helped steward me in my faith, helped steward me in the next chapter. Wow. It was just a great person to show me around and have conversations with. And it was a really a godsend for sure. And, and I'm so grateful to him. His name's Paul. And he, and he was a great mentor to me. And he actually put me in contact with his son-in-law was part of a big club in England called the Bristol Rovers. And we sat and I had a, he's not there anymore, but he was the CEO. And he sat down with me at their training ground and we had a great conversation. We talked things, all things, all things football, all things business. And he's like, I think you made the right choice in taking this step and kind of releasing yourself from the game because he's seen it more often than not that a lot of athletes only have football as they're out. And when it ends, they end too, metaphorically speaking. 
And, you know, I've been very privileged that to, to live in America, to have a degree and, and all these things. But, uh, I really wanted to leverage the sport to help create my next chapter. And, um, he was like, you know, there's a couple avenues you can go. You can go down, you know, you can still be involved in the sport or you can, you know, completely course direct. And to be honest, I, I didn't have a clear yeah, picture, yeah. Raleigh. So from Bristol, I took the time to travel and I went to the South of France. My family actually had booked a trip to Spain and I was never able to join them on the family trips because they were normally during my seasons. And this was a time when I was able to join them for two weeks in Spain. So I was in the South of France traveling, just kind of Airbnb in it, living just wherever, living by the seat of my pants and um, not really committing to anything, not committing to playing football, not committing to looking at my next chapter, but really just taking the time and then spending the next two weeks with my family, which was beautiful. We were able to stay in Spain for two weeks. And then I got home to New York and got smacked with the brick and the weight of, okay, now that you've lived the honeymoon phase for the last three or four weeks, maybe more, now what? And it was at that point when I really started to feel the weight of my decision and my identity. You said so much that I want to really talk about here, because rather than facing the isolation that so many of us do in transitions, we we turn away from people thinking that we can solve it on our own. You found a friend in Bristol who was able to kind of walk with you, talk with you, mentor you, really help you mm. be present in that critical stage of your life. And what I love is rather than rushing to fix the problem, you traveled. You hung out with family. Mm. You were present with them. You were enjoying that as a gift because you didn't get to do that when you were a footballer, when you were playing. You were always on. Mm. It's interesting. When I talk to other former professional athletes, they all say the same, whether they were an Ameri American footballer or played mm. for the major league baseball, what have you. They always say, you know, when I was playing and I was in the minors, I wasn't paid anything. And then when I got up to the majors, I was paid a good amount of money. But here's the deal. I was never with my family. I was never with my kids. And it took a toll. Mm. And people will all say that. And so here mm. you are and you're seeing this in a sense as, yeah, this is hard, but this is also a gift. And you're living your best life. You really mm. are. You're having a good time until you come back home and then you're dealt, you kind of... Mm deal face to face with the chaos of the transition. Mm. Well, what comes next? What do I do? How do I rebound from this? And as you're dealing with this chaos, did you feel like you were losing it? Did you feel helpless in this moment? I, re I remember specifically, first of all, I got, I got struck down with, with the COVID-19. You got that Rona. Um, bad. And that was the first they got at Rona. And um, that was... It wasn't a, I was, it wasn't bad from like a symptoms point of view. Like well, I didn't feel unsafe or anything, but it knocked me out. Like the, 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 the brain fog that I had and like the, the lack of energy was wild. And so that made me sit in my own stuff even more. And because I, I literally could go nowhere. I couldn't, I couldn't fill my life with any more extravagant. Yeah. Bandy, you couldn't run away. Yeah. So to speak, I couldn't travel. I couldn't run. I had to just sit there and as much Netflix that I wanted to watch and watch friends for two weeks, I couldn't like, it just, it, it didn't satisfy me anymore. So I had to sit with it for a while. And 
Uh, to be honest, you know, I, I I did slide into a little bit of a a, a depressive episode, more or more or less, because physically I was not my best, and that right. always is difficult to deal with when you're we can't do what we love, even if it's just minimal movement. And then also, it was there was no reason really outside myself to to live or to what am I what am I waking up to do tomorrow? And I felt very sad for a long time. And uh, I even I went to I had a new primary care physician, and, and he said you're actually dealing with uh, it's not quite PTSD, but you've had a major life event, and it can be. It's another depressive syndrome that, that can happen, but basically a lot of people get it after a car accident yeah. or they get it after a major life event and it's just kind of knocks you off your feet. And it was very difficult for me to find my bearings. And part of that was COVID because I had brain fog and the other part was just the, the life event that I had. Um, and I actually had a friend reach out to me. Um, and again, you always check on your friends, people. But I had a friend reach out to me that he's a partner in this wealth management firm that I'm now with. And he said, hey, Pax, we, you know, we think we, you'd be great at what we do. And I was like, great. What, did, what, what is that? And he was like, we need someone to kind of spearhead this, you know, in, uh, insurance part of our business. We do a lot of portfolio management. And, you know, my father is kind of the head of it, but he's potentially kind of needs some help with it because he's 65 now and he's, he wants to maybe kind of pull away from the business. And I said, great yeah, let me do it. And like I did with football, I just jumped two feet into it. And I got licensed by the state within two weeks. They were like, you're, you're already licensed? What? How'd you do that so quick? And I was like, it's the same discipline. It's just a different uniform. <laughs> and just jumped straight into to that. And I've been doing it ever since. And would I call it my passion, Raleigh? Maybe not. But I'm so grateful, one, for the opportunity, two, to be able to add that weapon to my arsenal, being able to speak this new lingo of you know, corporate lingo and business and wealth management and insurance and, and all, the, all these things because it's just helping to grow my resume, my CV. Uh, so that was an amazing, timely intervention in my life that gave me a new purpose. It's so interesting being. that as you're kind of going into these segues in your life, there is someone there. It's always relational in your story. It's so cool mm -hmm. because you may feel alone, but you're not alone. There's always someone who's going to help you the next little bit. And I feel like in so many ways in our lives, yeah. we need those people. And then we are those mm -hmm. people where it may not be a 24 seven mm -hmm. thing, but someone's going through something and then maybe you've gone through something similar and you kind of pace with them for a little bit to help them process through what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then you may stay in touch. You may continue to talk, but it might be different because you were the person to kind of help them in that process. And so you had that in Bristol. Now you mm. have that in the States. And it's interesting because I'm not a big mm. cliche guy. Like I've heard so many cliches over yeah. the years, especially when I'm going through a transition. Someone will say something to the effect of when God closes a door, he opens a window. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> where I grew up, people were crawling through windows, but that's not normative. And so I don't really get your right. point. Like, well, well, just crawl through the window. You'll be fine. But at the end of the day, I do understand that there's always another way. Momentum has mm. to go somewhere. And so another friend reaches out, you have this conversation, and mm. you just took the opportunity. You said something, though, when you were talking about that, you said that you use the same discipline. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is 
played a big role in in helping me in my next chapter and especially with the the coaching side of things and, and also the business role that I'm in. As an athlete, the exposure that we have in such a short time is most people probably don't get that kind of exposure to the different elements that the game brings in, in their entire lifetime. So whether it's dealing within living in a, in a different culture completely and having to and live under that umbrella and how do, how do we act in someone else's home, so to speak? Uh, how do we get our point across? Because there's 11 people on that field, but I get I can tell you right now that how I speak to you, Raleigh, is not how I'm going to speak to my my goalkeeper who's from another country and their version of communication are two different things. So I've been able to take all those disciplines and bring them into whatever it is that I like that, that I'm doing now. And the discipline of, look, training is boring. Like if you want to train right, it's, it's not fun. You can have fun with it, but it's, it's, it's very repetitive. And that's what gets you to be a good player. So when it came to getting licensed by the state for this company I'm with now, look, that wasn't sexy or cool at all. But what I knew was I knew I had to be able to chop it down into training days and attack it like I would as a footballer. And it was expedited where that probably would have taken people maybe a month to do. And I was able to do it in two weeks. Um, so the uniform does change, but the disciplines stay the same. I love that. The uniform does change, but the disciplines stay the same. You were able to harness mm. what you had done in your previous life, basically. And so you're able to continue that mm. and that stays a part of you. I think sometimes when we're going through it, we feel like everything we learned up until that point is null and void. And that's not true. I mean, we are in a process mm. of becoming until we're not. We're always growing we never reach perfection on this side of heaven. And so you are looking at that and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to waste any of this. I was given all of these lessons in life and I'm going to take them into the next stage. Mm. What are a couple lessons that you could share with us that you learned through your time as a footballer? There's no such thing as self-made at all. And a lot of times, even in this conversation, it, it's it's come up a couple of times where I've leaned on my network and, and, and my support system. Like when I first finished university or college here in America, I decided to do, um, you know, one way ticket straight to England. Most people hear that and they go, wow, that's awesome. Like you did all that. What they don't see is that leading up to that point, I would go to England every single year with my dad. We'd watch Liverpool play which is right there, which is the team that we, I support and that he now supports through <laughs> osmosis. Uh, he's actually from Leicester and you know they actually got relegated from the Premier League this year, but that's another story. And we would meet with my family members, with family friends, and we would say, hey, look, look Paxton wants to finish his degree, which looking back on, I probably would have gone earlier, but my mom, I promised my mom I'd finish my degree. So I, I got my degree and I say, look, he wants to come over here. Who do you know? Where can he stay? What can and, you know, I had a family friend, as soon as I landed, they picked me up and I lived with them in Bolton. And, you know, from that point on, people were so willing to help you on your journey because they either believed in you or you were, you were a decent enough person that, that you, it was good to be around. I mean, and then God would move. And it's just so many things that looking back on my career, I, 
apart from showing up, I really wasn't in control of. So a, a lesson now for sure is like you need people around you and, and it's it's healthy to have people around you, but it's just so detrimental to your success. That's the, the one of the number one lessons. And the other lesson is you got to go for it. I mean, like the, forgive me about the cliches, but like I had zero fear when I booked a one-way ticket to go to England. And that led me to the, and that, that really kickstarted me on this journey. And as I got a little bit older and even now, I don't know if I would book a one-way ticket without going, you know, um, maybe I should look, where would I, where am I going to stay? Um, what am I going to eat? Do I have enough you money? Just took it's just that like, risk. You just do at least you take the risk. And then I think as we progress and we kind of get beat up by the world a little bit, we start, we stop mm-hmm. doing those, but the fruit is so much better when we do take those risks and, and push into that fear. So that I think the top two lessons is, is like get people around you and be in an amazing support system, which it's not just transactional, right? It's not just take, take, take. It's, it's, we give as well. And the other is like, feel the fear and do it anyway, as yeah, much as that's possible. Courage. And I think at the end yeah. of the day, so much of that is bound up in your story of, one thing ended and you had to summon that courage to take a risk to figure out what what there was for you out there and and i love that about your story because it's really easy for us to just shut down when things don't go our way whether we lose a job or a relationship or we're in a situation that we just have to get out of we have to kind of separate that from our identity and say okay like What's next? And, and I love that you, you surround yourself with people who help you get to that next place and you, you jump in with both feet. I, I heard that at different junctures of your story. It's like, yeah, I went for it. I just went for it. And I think sometimes what we want in life is on the other side of a risk, but it's so easy to play it safe. Mm. But you're saying, you know, to really live life, to be present, to be in the moment, you've got to have courage and and I mean, that, that encourages me because it's so easy to just want to play it safe, but that's not, that's not how life works. <laughs> and so Paxton, thank you so much for joining me and really just opening my eyes and opening our eyes to the fact that even when things go wrong, there is still hope. Raleigh, I can't thank you enough for having me on it and, and asking such pertinent questions that help pull this out of me. And to be honest, it's it's a form of therapy being able to talk and to speak and to say things out loud. So maybe that's a third lesson, like yeah. get it out and talk about it as much as you can and, and have someone simply listen is, is so powerful. If you are interested in more conversations like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. We want to hear from you, so you can email us at info at mercycast.com. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.